This episode of the Expat Cast is brought to you by Horbach Expats. They're a group of financial consultants who specialize in helping foreigners living in Germany. They themselves are a group of young immigrant women from across the globe who all share the conviction that financial literacy should be a right and not a privilege. They offer individual consulting in across six different languages, so no matter where you're from, you can go ahead and reach out for a consultation. For my fellow U.S. Americans living in Germany, we have something very special for you. Their consultant who specializes in U.S. Americans is teaming up with the Expat Cast to put on an event where you'll get an overview, crash course, and a lot of the financial topics that you have questions about. Because actually, we structured this event based on your feedback of what you're interested in. The event is coming up in just one week on July 1st, 2021 at 7 p.m. Germany time. It's totally free of charge, so go ahead and sign up today. We're going to touch on the retirement system, on social security, finding flexible financial options for people who might move again, all that and more. Sign up at the link in the show notes. See you on July 1st. This episode of the Expat Cast is brought to you by Lingoda. Lingoda is a fully online language school offering classes in English, Spanish, French, and best of all, in German. The way it works is you sign up for classes whenever it fits into your schedule, and the classes are always in small groups and always by qualified native speakers. People love Lingoda for their flexibility, for the ease of which you can use their software, and for their language sprints. A sprint is basically a challenge. With a normal sprint, you're committing to 15 classes per month for three months. And when you meet that goal, you can get 50% of your money back. There's a 49 euro deposit fee. But if you use the code expatcast1, you'll save 20 euros on that fee. For all of that information and more, click the link in the show notes. Welcome to the expatcast. This is the podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole, and we are celebrating episode 125, the conclusion of season five of the Expat Cast. Also, this marks almost exactly three years since I've been putting out the show. Kind of a lot of crazy anniversaries all piling up at once. Plus, it's my Gedeutschtag, so the anniversary of my move to Germany in just a couple of weeks. So lots and lots of reasons to celebrate. And weirdly enough, we're celebrating with a somewhat somber episode. <laughs> I guess this is my way. Look, if you've made it with me this far, you're probably not so surprised that my method of celebration is talking about difficult topics. (laughs) There's about a million cool things about doing this podcast, but one of them is that it gives me such a great opportunity to check in with myself and think really directly about my journey as an expat, immigrant, whatever I might end up being. At this point, I'm coming up on four years in Germany, and it feels like every six months to a year, I'm working on a really different topic or theme in sort of adjusting to this life, and also just figuring out how to be a person in the world in general. (laughs) And one of the things I've been really focused on over the last couple months is Finding the right balance between, like I say in the top of the show every time, fitting in and standing out. I think the first two to three years here, I was really focusing on fitting in, learning the language, learning the culture, adapting, integrating. And somewhere over the last year, and definitely over the last couple months, it's become so clear to me that it's important to also stand out, not just because I'm going to no matter what, but also because 
I want to <laughs> because I want to bring things from my culture and my background into my life here in Germany because there can be so much good that comes out of having two different cultures interact with each other. And if I'm always suppressing my culture in favor of learning and adapting to the German culture, that's limiting and, and it holds the overall experience back from being something even greater. So it's been a goal of mine in my personal life and my professional life to bring more of American me into things. And I think this episode is a really important moment in this bigger journey because I I'm feeling pretty comfortable in Germany and in German as a language, all of this stuff. I have a very privileged position through my workplace and through my experience on the podcast and through my background, all, all of these different things, that gives me a pretty special view into how things are on a micro and a macro level. I want to use that position that I'm in to help make things better, to create positive change, to create helpful conversations. So this topic of times that German people of authority have made us cry is an attempt to open up the conversation about something that's pretty difficult to discuss which is times that foreigners have felt in some way mistreated by not necessarily the German system, but specifically German people of authority. Now, here's how the episode's going to work. I want to run down a couple of things at the get-go right now to center ourselves in this conversation and in this topic. And then I have a lot of little audio snippets for you from listeners across Germany with examples from their own lives of times that this has happened. And I'll pop in now and again with commentary from the online community on Instagram or messages that y'all have written me, etc. This episode is a continuation of the episode number 21 from season five. It was released on May 27th, 2021, called Times German Authority Figures Have Made Us Cry. It was an episode I did with Martina where we went pretty deep into a couple examples from Martina's life and my life to get this conversation going. And then we also talked about what we can do about those moments and in those moments. That gives us more of a micro look at just two people's experiences, whereas this is a bit of a more macro level look, not super macro. It's not like I interviewed the entire world, but a slightly larger swath of people that are going to be, as the German phrase goes, coming to word. <laughs> so we're going to share their experiences today. The prompt that the people who will be sharing today had was, what is a moment that you had when interacting with a German person or office of authority? So think of foreigner's office or the Rathaus or a doctor's office or a bank, something where you needed something quite important and quite personal to you. And you had to go to this office to get that very important, very intimate help. And the feeling you were left with, well, the short and funny version is left you in tears. Are tears funny? I don't know, I guess sometimes. Anyway, point being, left you in tears or a tear adjacent emotion. Think of a moment like that. Tell us your story, what happened. And then if you've learned any tips and tricks, if you've learned any coping mechanisms, share that with us too. Now, I want to say right off the bat, I'm, I'm focusing in this episode on Germany because that's where I'm based. That's where I have direct insight into the system. So I focused on Germany, but I definitely heard from a lot of listeners who said, hey, well, if you open it up to other countries too, I have stories from Spain, from Switzerland, from the Netherlands, from China. So I think that's really important to point out. This is in no way saying that this is a Germany specific problem. Another thing I want to say is almost everyone who sent me stories, who sent me audio notes, 
really wanted to make sure to emphasize that they mostly have good experiences. There was definitely an overwhelming love for Germany and for the German people. This isn't about complaining. This isn't about hating on Germany, giving Germany a hard time. But I think it is very important that we do have a space where we can talk about some of the less positive or, dare I say, negative aspects of life abroad and specifically life in Germany. So let's go into this with that understanding of love and care And a final note about that, I also heard from multiple Germans who reached out saying, hey, I'm so sorry to hear that this is the experience that you're having in my country. And I really appreciate that from my German listeners. It's really nice to hear from someone who is of this culture saying, hey, I'm sorry that I wish that didn't represent me. I wish that it was different. All right. Disclaimers. Fertisch. Done. Now into the content itself. In the prompt, when I asked for moments that made you cry, I I really meant a broader net with that. So any moment that made you feel that bad, negative, pushed down feeling. But what is that bad, negative, pushed down feeling? What does that actually mean? Well, through sharing the episode with Martina, hosting a couple discussions on Instagram about these moments, there were several words that people shared to describe how those moments feel. And I'm going to read some of them out loud now dehumanizing, rude, anger, feeling shock at the audacity, feeling stupid, and feeling like that person wanted you to feel stupid, feeling like you were on the receiving end of an unnecessary attitude, feeling distraught, feeling demoralized, feeling defenseless. That's a little word cloud for you of what I mean when I say moments that make you cry. And there were two main things that came up throughout. So first and foremost, it has to be said, the bureaucracy. Germany is quite famous for having a very bureaucratic system that sometimes even exhausts the people who work within the bureaucracy. So sometimes the stress that leads to these moments on both ends, on the side of the foreigner and of the German person of authority, is because the bureaucracy is just really tying people's hands or making a really ridiculous situation but it can't be changed because that's what the bureaucracy demands. That's definitely at play in a lot of these stories. And the first set of stories that I want to share have to do with that. So dealing with the bureaucracy, especially when you're setting up your life here. So a couple terms to know for those of you not so familiar with German. When you move to a new place in Germany, whether it's to a new apartment in the same city or to a new city or fresh to the country, you have to do an Anmeldung, which means registration. So you go to the Rathaus, to the city hall, and you tell them, hey, here's my Mietvertrag. So here's my lease. I live here now. Just wanted to let you know. <laughs> That's a very common bureaucratic process, as is visiting the Ausländerbehörde or the foreigner's office to get your paperwork in order for your visa. So let's go ahead and hear some stories that have to do with the bureaucracy of setting up your life and livelihood in Germany. The worst experience that I had was with the immigration office. My boyfriend called to try and help me and without asking for any sort of verification, they gave him pretty much all of the information that he asked for, which just felt kind of invasive. The woman working on my case would call me as soon as she got into the office at 7.30 in the morning and told me I needed to bring this, this, this paperwork. Otherwise, maybe I should think about going back home. And then when I got to the office with that, that, that paperwork, it was the wrong things and needed other things which is just probably the most awful I've ever been treated in my life and I think the best way that I found to deal with it was just 
calling customer service for my bank, which is in the southern U.S., and everybody just calls you darling and sweetie and wants to be helpful and just reminds you that you're a human because I think it's easy to forget that when people are treating you like you're just needed to be pushed through and you're a burden. I've lived in Germany for almost nine years. The treatment that I have received in Germany is really special. And uh, I can think of a couple of situations, for example, where I literally left feeling so, um, just kind of so angry and humiliated that I was literally in tears. And one of them um, was actually when I first got to Munich. So I was, I was a student and I was doing grad school. And so for the second year, I decided to get a work student program. And so I had been using my American bank account at the time. And so I wanted to open a bank account in Germany. So I opened a bank account at Sparkasse. And so I opened it with like 100 euros. And I think that it was, you know, like a student account. It was going to be three euros a month or something like that. I think that that was in November or something like that. And my work student program was supposed to start in December. And then I don't remember there was a delay. And so I ended up starting like maybe three months later. The fact is like I had money in the account and I had been paying the monthly fee. One day I received a check in the mail from Sparkasa saying that they had closed my account because I wasn't using it. This concept of just like deciding to close my bank account even though I have money in there is a completely different concept to me. I didn't understand why anybody would do this because as a bank account, if I'm paying for it every single month, I should be able to decide when I put the money in. So anyway, by that time my work student program was starting in a month. And I went to the bank and I said, hey, I, I, I would like to keep my account. I have here some check, you know, uh, with the rest of my money. And I would like to put it back in my account. And she says, well, you don't have an account anymore. At this time, I didn't really speak any German. So this conversation was in English. So I was just like, well, but I, I want to keep the account. So I want to reopen it. I want to put the money in. You know, I'm supposed to get a paycheck, but I would like to open the account. She said, you can't. It's closed. And I said, Yes, but I, I would like to reopen it. And she goes, you can't. It's gone. And I said, okay, well, can I open another account? And she says, no. And I said, are you telling me that you don't want my business? She said, yes. And I said, is, is this the way that you treat all of your customers or just me? And she said, you have to use the account to keep it. I've just never been treated so badly when trying to pay for a service. And I think it's like, it's just a completely different mentality here because it's almost as if you're supposed to be grateful as a customer that they even waste their time on you. <laughs> and I just, I remember just turning around and I started just crying when I was leaving. I'm just, you know, I was so angry because I guess I had never been told directly that nobody wanted my business. Like, and I wasn't welcome there. And um, this is one of many, many, many situations like this, unfortunately, I'd have to say definitely it got better over the years, uh, the better my German got. But um, also the situations became more frustrating in many cases in terms of German bureaucracy. And, and I think it's just the general attitude that the customer is always wrong. That's so frustrating. I mean, I have been hung up on. I have been yelled at more times than I can count. I have been told to leave the store for asking questions. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's my story in Germany. And just to clarify, I, I absolutely love it here. But certain situations like that really take the enthusiasm out of the whole experience for me some days. Anyway, I went to Deutsche Bank that day 
actually. And I went in there. They were nice to me. They gave me a coffee. And I have been with them ever since. That's That's been uh, nine years now, simply because they treated me nicely. And that's how my loyalty works, I guess. And I know that it's not personal. I mean, this is what I've been told from all my German friends. And I guess, like, I just don't find there's any consolation that we're all treated badly. <laughs> I think especially, like, with, with bureaucracy and everything like that, I mean... So this time, within the last year, I mean, I started my own substandard, you know, business, you know, as a freelancer. So I needed a business tax number. But um, the whole process with COVID and everything like that definitely changed everything for the worst, obviously, as these government bodies and institutions were shut down. So in January, I tried to apply for my business tax number, my, my Stoya number. I wrote them, I e emailed them, I filled out the form. They sent it back saying that I had to use Elster. I tried to use Elster. That was a disaster. I couldn't even register. I had to download like three separate apps to try to create an account in three separate ways. So then they could give me two separate passwords, one by email, one by post. And by the time that I got the one by post, it was two weeks later, the email one had expired. So then I had to do the whole thing all over again using a different process. That took a whole month almost before I could actually get myself an account and put in all of the information there. So that was by that time, the end of January, and I did not receive my actual business tax number until the very end of April. And the frustrating things, thing about that is that I launched my business in March and I didn't have a business tax number and I didn't have a VAT number. So I started calling in March. Hello, and by this time this was in German. At first, I couldn't get any answer about who I could talk to. I literally called probably four or five different offices, and every place told me to call another office. And so I did finally reach the right department. So I called the next day. It was early in the morning. The woman was very nice to me. She was very helpful. She goes, yeah, I can see that you're in the, in the system, but nothing's happening. Like, you know, nobody started to process your account. So she assured me that they were taking care of it, and if I hadn't gotten anything within the next week, that I should definitely call back. So I did call back the next week because nothing happened. And that was when I got yelled at. Um, the lady said she didn't know anything. She couldn't find my file. She couldn't find anything. I asked when she thought it would be possible to know when it was coming. And she gave me a very exasperated, like, I don't know. We're all working from home. I said, yes. I, and because she had been very very rude to me this whole conversation I was like yes I understand that I'm like it's very frustrating we're all working from home right now you know and she was just like I don't know call back another time and so she basically hung up on me by that time I was like feeling totally traumatized and I'm like okay I don't want to call again because it makes me feel so helpless and uh, defenseless because in that moment, I mean, normally the, I can I can explain what I want in German. I can say things clearly. But when you're getting yelled at and you have the feeling that you're mistreated, you're not able to articulate yourself clearly because you're just, you know, getting overly emotional. So um, literally like three weeks ago, I got my VAT number. I had my partner who was German call for me. And thankfully, he was able to get the information. But anyway, so that was just, I mean, that day I was really so upset because I, you know, sometimes you get the feeling like I'm just trying to do everything right. Why is it this hard? We had one experience at the Hacienda Pajora. We don't really remember the details, but we just remember the feeling. So we had to go to the Hacienda Pajora. We had gotten all our stuff together and we had gone. We were there for our appointment. You know, we waited till we were finally called back. And we go back there and we're already nervous because at this point, 
my German wasn't great. I was just there in the room to sign whatever paperwork was going on, and Jeremy kind of had to take the lead. I wouldn't say he was fluent at this point either, but he was pretty good. We could get by most of the time. We are in there with the lady, and just from the very get-go, she is just in such a terrible, like, mood with us. Me not knowing what's going on, I feel like we've done something wrong. All I'm getting is this tone of voice, like we have inconvenienced her life by being there. Even though it's like we had an appointment, we're there when we're supposed to and everything. She just seemed like she could not be bothered to help us. So we're sitting down with her and we're trying to figure everything out. And I can see like Jeremy is getting a little frustrated because he's trying to understand what she's getting at, what she needs from us, what she wants. There's this pressure when you're sitting there because... You're afraid that if you are not completely polite and nice with them, that they can somehow affect your visa. And they can be like, well, no, you don't qualify anymore. Or they can make you wait a long time. Like, you feel like they have all this power above you. And even though they're being so rude to you, you just have to deal with it. Because, I mean, what else can you do? You have to have your visa to be able to to stay in the country. And I can't really remember anything specific she said. But it was just the entire time we were there, we felt like we were not welcome. We felt so uncomfortable. I would say, oh, maybe it's because we're foreigners, but it's a little bit silly because she's working at the office where foreigners come to get their visas. So she must be at least somewhat comfortable with helping people from other countries and helping people who maybe don't have a mastery of the language. But we just left feeling defeated. Even though we got what we needed, we just felt like unwelcome and it was such a bad experience and we've had many many good experiences since then most of them have been pretty pleasant but because of that one now every time we go there's this little bit of apprehension beforehand like oh god i hope i hope it's not like that other time oh god i hope it is not like that other time That is definitely a thought I've had. Uh, There's this really special, I don't want to call it PTSD because I'm not a psychologist. I I don't know if that term actually fits the situation, but it seems to. There's definitely this feeling of apprehension once you have one bad experience at a place. Every time you go back, you have those nerves. Even if you've had 10 other good times, that one time stays with you. I think that last story really expresses it a lot of it really well. You know, there is this feeling of a power imbalance in these moments. You need something, something crucial to your life. And this person seems to have all the power in their hands. So there's this power imbalance that already makes you feel nervous. Plus, in all of these situations, it's just really the last thing you need. You can hear in these stories how much paperwork everyone's already gone through, how much preparation and new preparation and new preparation because it never quite works the first time. And at that point, you're just at the end of your rope and you're so desperate. And then to be faced with a negative treatment, you just don't really have the capacity left to deal with it. And yeah, in situations like at the bank where the person was able to just choose a different bank, I think that's a really important element because yeah, I think a lot of our loyalty works that way. If you're nice to me once, especially after someone was mean to me, I'm going to stick with you forever. And then there's other situations where you can't do that. You can't just say, okay, then I'll, I'll take my money elsewhere because you you have to go to the foreigner's office. You can't just go to a different foreigner's office. And in those cases, when you have these negative experiences, 
it really does linger. We're going to hear from that last voice one more time in just a moment because we actually got a couple stories sent in about the Zoll, which is the customs office. So if you're getting a package sent internationally, let's hear those. When I was living in Freiburg, I needed a new pair of glasses. So I went online through like an American website that I had used in the States. So I'll just go ahead and order through them so I don't have to worry about going to an optometrist appointment in Germany because <laughs> as silly as it is, I think that I would like get a terrible score and they would think I was crazy blind just because I wouldn't be able to pronounce the letters correctly. So I bought the glasses and I was waiting for them to come in the mail, but instead of the package coming, I got a letter that said I needed to go to the customs office. I make my way out there and from where I was living without a car, this was super far away. I, it was like a couple of tram rides and a bus. So there was already this travel stress, I guess, before even getting there. So I, I, I arrive and I take a number and then I finally get called and I go to the counter. The woman asked me for some information and I wasn't quite sure what she needed from me. I gave her the sheet that they had mailed me because I figured it has all my info on it. It has the, you know, the package number and everything. She goes and gets the package and hands me scissors and I'm like, okay, I guess I have to open it. So I open it up and she's looking at it and then she's asking me all these questions and I'm getting a little overwhelmed because I do not understand what she's asking me. And I felt like this was getting really complicated for something that seemed really easy. So the stress in me is building because I'm just getting flustered and bamboozled. I have to show her like my US passport and everything. Like. It's a really big deal just for me to pick up these glasses. I am trying to, to remain calm <laughs> and give her all the info she needs. She gets everything from me. Then she tells me some number and I'm like, okay. And I think she says it like two or three times. And what I was not getting was apparently this is how much I have to pay because I had to pay like import taxes that I was not aware of. So yeah, then I'm digging through and trying to pay for it and trying to ask if I can pay with a card instead of cash. And it's just these little tiny conversational transactions that we're having here that are being really difficult for me. So I'm doing all of this. And then finally at the end, I've paid, I've got the package. And then I think I just have to sign a receipt at this point. And I sign it and she says something else to me. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> What else do you need? I feel like it's time for me to go. And then I'm just like, Entschuldigung, or sorry, I don't understand. And then she switches and she speaks to me in perfect English, telling me, okay, this is all finished and telling me to have a good day. My face must have dropped. I was so upset in that moment. I took my things and I left. And I was just outside waiting for the bus and I just felt like crying because I was in there that whole time for the whole interaction struggling to understand her and trying my hardest to talk to her. She knew I was American, so clearly you would assume English. And then at the very end, she speaks to me in the most perfect, clear, fluent English. It felt like she could have helped me if she wanted to and she chose not to. And then at the very end, she shows her cards that she can understand and speak English perfectly. It felt kind of like a slap in the face. Like it just felt like being made fun of or being punished in a way. And it was just a, a terrible experience for me. And I just had never forgotten the way it felt. 
I, I mean, I, I understand if we're speaking two languages and we can't understand each other and we're both trying our best to get there. But if, if you can communicate with someone in a better way and you choose not to, then I think that's something that says something about you. I had just moved here. I hadn't really prepared everything for coming here. I wasn't really familiar with the healthcare system. I kind of was expecting to be able to get some refills for my birth control pills sent over to me by my mom. So my mom went to the U.S. post office. She basically wanted to make sure, of course, that it was legal to be able to send me my, which is basically medication, I guess. And they said it would be no problem. They said it's not a big deal at all. Fast forward to when the package finally arrives. I received a letter in the mail saying that it would not be possible for them to deliver my package to my house. Pretty typical thing. Sometimes they hold packages at the customs office. And I didn't speak as much German at the time, but I was expecting it to be really no big deal. Unfortunately, this customs office was a little bit farther than I had expected. So I had to take pretty much an hour bus ride there and already exhausted arriving to this office. They had only very small opening times, and so I really was trying to get there on time. And um, So I ended up getting there and walking into the office, giving them my name and the letter that had arrived to me in the mail. And as soon as I gave it to this woman, she right away was irritated, and it seemed like she was just in a bad mood in general. I made it clear that I didn't really speak much German right away and she was already kind of annoyed and was trying to explain to me in English like, okay, do you know what this is? And I said, yes, you know, my mom sent me my birth control pills and she was like, yeah, okay, we're going to need you to open this box. And it really felt like I was a terrorist or something like the, the way that she treated me and I immediately got emotional because I wasn't sure why this was such a big deal. So she kind of threw me the scissors, watched me closely as I opened the box, and I pulled out some things and she was like, okay, open this bag, what's in there? And I was like, yeah, those are my birth control pills. And she was like, yeah, that's illegal in Germany. You can't do that. You can't keep those. We have to destroy them. It really felt weird because also being in a new country, I wasn't sure if this was just because it was birth control and being Bavaria and maybe more religious area that that was just not allowed because of that. I really was confused uh, culturally and wasn't sure what was going on. So after this happened to me, I just basically start, was almost at the point of tears because this woman was so upset with me for just having my birth control. She said, no, you, we're going to confiscate these. We have to destroy them. You will have to go to a doctor if you want to get those. So of course I got emotional because my birth control was already running out and I was getting pretty upset that I wouldn't really have a chance or enough time to go to a doctor and get set up with a whole new birth control. So yeah, I got pretty upset. I had to sign a form. I was already on the verge of tears and just trying to hold it back. And basically as soon as she gave me the rest of the contents in my package, I had already missed my one chance to get a bus without having to wait another hour. So I basically had to sit outside of the office at the bus stop crying and calling my boyfriend to tell him about this story. So I definitely felt really bad. I also felt stupid, like I should have really researched it and checked it better. On top of that, it just gave me a feeling of being defeated in a way because I thought that I could do this on my own. I think to cope, I just talked to my boyfriend about it, talked to my mom about it. I guess you can't really be prepared for these situations because you don't always know when that's going to happen. But 
one way that I've prepared for these situations at other places, which are like government offices, is just sometimes I actually just Google what I want to say to them in German, make sure that I write down some of the more difficult words or try to bring someone with me who speaks the language so that I feel like I have that support. So either my boyfriend or a friend so that you can have somebody help translate for you in case there is that language barrier. This transitions us nicely into our next category, which is visits to the doctor's office. We had a couple of listeners write in with stories of times that they were at the doctor's office and the doctor or the nurse could speak English, but chose not to. And also some other strange treatment that overall has created for a lot of people feelings of anxiety. You know, one listener actually wrote in and said they had such a bad experience at their house arts. So their general practitioner, the first time that they went, that now every time they go, they get an anxiety attack, which is pretty much the opposite of what you want from a doctor. And I can just imagine how that would de-incentivize you from going to the doctor if you're just a little sick and you know it's going to make you feel awful. You just don't go. So the topic of doctors is a really critical one. Um, I'm going to first share a story that got sent by email from a listener who said when they first moved to Germany, they needed a checkup from a doctor and a dentist in order to get health insurance. So she signed her and her husband up for an appointment with the dentist. And now I'm going to read from it. The dentist took me back to the examination room and started poking his fingers around in my mouth with no gloves and his fingers reeked and tasted of cigarettes. I have no proof or reason to believe that he had washed his hands before sticking them in our mouths. After our examinations, the dentist took my husband and I back to his office to discuss it. He said to my husband, okay, you're fine. Then he turned to me and said, you. Well, if you were a horse, I'd still buy you, but there are some teeth that we should fix. Okay, and then she goes to the doctor's office for the checkup there. There she says... She told us to strip down to our underwear. She then asked us to individually do jumping jacks and squats and to bend over and touch our toes and other things in front of each other while wearing only underwear. Okay, and then the last story from this listener. Then a year or two later, we moved again and a friend recommended her doctor. She said she was lovely, had been a few times there. And now to quote, I went in once because I had been feeling badly for a few weeks and really needed an answer to why I was so exhausted. In the waiting room, the assistant called me by what I thought was my friend's name, but she was looking right at me and gave me the impatient, yes, you, nod, so I figured I was just imagining things. So I went and I sat and I talked to the doctor, told her how I was feeling. She looked at my medical files and said, well, you had a blood test in March and things looked normal. I told her that didn't sound right. I I didn't remember a blood test around that time. She said, no, it, it said so right here. So I assume I'm the one who's incorrect in losing my mind because I was feeling really badly after all. The doctor told me that there was nothing in my history to show anything, and I should just take iodine tablets. She handed this to me on prescription paper, and it had my friend's name on it. So this whole time, she was looking at my friend's medical history and could have told me anything about her private information. When I told the doctor that this wasn't me, this was my friend's name on the paper, she got really embarrassed and basically just shooed me out of the appointment after giving me a new prescription with my name on it, without even really looking at my medical records. Oof, that is super unprofessional and frankly negligent, especially when it has to do with your body. All right, one more story involving medical treatment. I had a shoulder surgery planned for and a week before you go there to do general checkups and to sign some legal documents and find out what they will be operating you on and for and how. Nobody spoke English. 
I, I'm almost three years in. That was two years in. But my German was at a good point where I could understand most of it. But if you take me to a hospital and you're going to start talking scientific to me, you can't expect me to be knowledge in that in German. That takes years. But you know the famous question that they always ask you for when you don't speak German. You don't speak. How long have you lived here? Not two years. And you don't speak German still? You know what I replied? And I replied this in German. Where is Germany? And I was like, what do you mean? I said, where is it geographically located? It's like, oh, Europa, Europe. Okay, and what's the number one language in Europe? She doesn't answer, and I say, English, right? Perfect, so why don't you know English, but I'm supposed to know German? That, I don't understand. She didn't really appreciate it, but I felt so happy about that, just hung back. Either way, it was very hard to go through all of the documentation because in Germany there's also this rule that they don't perform the operation if you don't fully understand what we're going to do to you. Eventually, they were able to find me an Italian doctor and I was very happy about that. I was like, finally, I can get to talk. But this Italian doctor was a German woman who lived and studied part of, it, part of her medicine career in Italy and so was able to learn Italian. She came to me and he's like, first question, not, hey, how are you doing? Are you ready for your surgery? First question, why don't you speak German in Italian to me? And I said, well, you know, it's a bit hard to learn all the medical terms and I'm not sure I understand everything I'm about to sign for. It makes sense that I should understand it in my uh, language. And, you know, I was hoping that there might have been some alternative documentation in your system that shows the documents from an European medicine institute uh, where they have all the translations because I'm sure if I do the operation here it's the same in Italy as in Germany as in Spain as in France at least part of it and the first answer was well when I, I went to Italy and when I was in Italy I learned Italian I didn't uh, you know so when you're in Germany you should try and learn German and I'm like okay how long have you been in Italy she was like I've been there for two years okay just like me and did you work in Italian did you have enough time to learn she's like Oh, I did uh, six months intense course every day uh, Italian when I was a student uh, over there because I was on my exchange. I'm just there like, well, F you then. Like, I'm working in English and I don't have the whole day or six months to accommodate to learn German. That's so unfair. So I got really, really annoyed at her. But okay, she did her job at least. And uh, eventually towards the end, we did all the paper. And then she's like, you know that we also have these papers in English. Why didn't you request them? I'm like... Why did nobody tell me that they were there in English? It's your job. It's not my job to know that they are. So my first request that I told her at the beginning up front that could have answered, could have been the first answer, but instead she chose to tell me, why don't you know German? So frustrating. Just remembering that story, I was just like, ah, I'm going to get this forever. Why don't you know German? Now, I want to circle back to something that's come up in a couple of these stories, which is transit. A lot of times, the foreigner in this situation is already at the end of the rope because of bureaucracy, because they're trying to do this in a language that is not their native language. But I was interested to hear that this aspect of transit also played a role in several people's stories. So actually, literally the act of getting from their home to their appointment involved so many steps that were uncomfortable and stressful for them that it decreased their ability to show up in a calm and patient and prepared way. Instead, they showed up feeling stressed and overwhelmed already. These next couple stories have to do with transit. A couple years back, I was an English teacher 
And this happened sometimes where I would have a break and I would go home and then maybe I would switch bags depending on what I needed. And that's exactly what happened this day. So it was last lesson before the Christmas break. Finished my lessons in the morning, went home for a little break, grabbed my laptop bag as well as my tins of cookies to take with me to work. And I hopped on the train, went to teach my final lessons, and then was ready to go home and kick off my Christmas break. And since I was freelance English teacher and I traveled all over the place, I always had this monthly ticket where you didn't even have to worry about buying a ticket every time. You just bought it once per month. And I always had those and I had been doing this for the past, I don't know, two years maybe. So this particular day, I completely forgot to transfer my wallet, which held not only my ticket, but also my identification. I hopped on the train and just exhausted from the day, ready to have a bit of a break. One stop before mine, they started checking tickets. And so I put my hand into the outer pocket of my laptop bag. As soon as they put my hand in, I realized, oh crap, uh, I don't have my ticket. Ooh, what do I do? And then I, I remembered a, a a friend of mine had told me that, well, you know, if you have the monthly card, even if, for example, you left it at home, you just tell them that, oh, you know, I have a monthly card, and then the next day you have to go into the, the train station to show them, hey, look, you know, I got a ticket yesterday, but I do have a monthly card, and then you get let off the hook. So at first, I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll just explain this, and it'll be okay. The woman who checked me asked, asked for my ticket, and I told her, and she said they had to then give me a, a fine. And I said, well, you know, I have a monthly ticket, but I, you know, I'll, I'll bring that in and I can show you guys. And she said, okay, well, that's fine. I need to fill out this fine for you. What, what's your name? What's your address? Give me your identification. And at this point, because we were far enough into the conversation, it was quite clear that I was not German. And so she, of course, asked me then for my documents. And I said, well, you know, I don't have my wallet with me, so I don't have that with me either. Train started to slow down, and I was like, okay, you know, this, this is my stop. She's almost done with the little tettle, then I'll, I'll just hop out and you know, deal with everything else tomorrow. She said, well, no, you have to stay on the train. And I said, well, Why? And she said, well, you don't have identification on you. You need to stay on the train for the police. And at this point, as soon as she said police, I was like, holy, oh no, my God, what am I going to do? And, and, and he said, well, you know, what, what does that mean? Am I getting arrested? What's happening here? And, and she said, well, you know, you have to take the train all the way back to Freiburg and the police will be waiting for you there. Which, you know, at this point I'm thinking, well, come on, that's a little, little, little much, right? And and I'm, I'm starting to worry, well, what's going to happen? And then, of course, this is when the, the tears started to come because I thought, well, how am I going to get home? And she saw that I was upset. This did not help, and I was certainly not let off the hook. But she, she said, we're going to be checking tickets on the next train back, and so we'll just, I know that it's you and that I've already given you a ticket. And at that point, hopefully the police will have already checked you out so you can then ride back to your stop. And so I'm exhausted. I'm in tears with my Christmas cookies in my lap on this train thinking that, you know, I just want to go home. Please let me deal with this mess later. Uh, and then, no, I have to sit on the train and I just sit there as everybody else gets off the train. And then the police gets on the train and they, of course, ask me for ID. And I said, well, you know, I don't have anything. And when the police talk to you, it's not just in everyday normal German. It's all of a sudden this police German, which 
I could not understand maybe half of what, what it was they were saying just from the vocabulary that they were using. And in a way, I kind of, at that point, I, I thought that they were doing it on, on purpose to make me feel even more foreign, to feel even more out of place. And then, you know, you have even more of a panic of, you know, am I getting into more trouble than I'm supposed to right now? What? So finally, they said, well, you know, you can stay on the train with this this lady who already checked your, your ticket and go back to where you say that you live. And I did that again in, in tears. And this police officer also had no problems giving me a very long German-like ticket with tears streaming down my face. And I think at that point, the fine was maybe 80 euros or something, which was definitely a lot of money to me at the time. In the end, so I wrote to the police department or the judge or the jury, whoever it was that I was supposed to address. Uh, I had my husband help me write this letter because my husband also told me, you know, this is a pretty big deal. It's going to go on your record here. It could influence if you get your next visa or not. And at the time I was getting a new visa every year. So in the end, it worked out. We got a letter back from the judge saying, okay, this time we'll let it fly, but you still need to pay the the fine. You don't need to appear in court, though. So that was a big relief. It was actually Monday morning. I had just quickly gone shopping and then wanted to ride my bike out of the city into the train station. Wanted just to cross the street across a very nice square, but there was a lot of construction. So And I realized there where I wanted to ride my bike across there was a blocked road. I had the green light. I crossed that road. And then when I saw the road that I wanted to go further down onto was blocked, uh, I just made the left and started going straight up the street. All of a sudden, the police ride up or actually drive up right next to me and tell me in German, you know, you have to pull over up the street next to the police station because you just crossed a red light. And I couldn't believe it. I was so angry. I was angry at the police. And I'm shocked because, you know, I, I I know I didn't cross any red light. I I had just gone across the street and then saw that it was blocked. And then I made a, a very simple left on my bike just to keep going up with the other cars and bikes. And and in the end, I ended up following their orders. I, I did exactly what they did told me to do. I, I rode right next my bike right next to the police station. And then uh, the police pulled up right next to me. And then we started talking. And they automatically tried to tell me, well, you know, you crossed the red light, and because you crossed the red light, we're going to give you a ticket. And I was like, what? I didn't do anything wrong. Leave me alone. And then they gave me a choice. You could either, we're going to give you this ticket, and you can just pay it right now, or we can mail you the ticket to your house. And I, I at the moment, you know, I was just so livid. I was just like, no, this is ridiculous. Just give me the ticket. I'm not paying anything right now. I forgot to mention that. What they were saying is if you cross a red light on your bicycle in Germany, you have to pay a 150 euro fine just for crossing that light. And they wanted me to pay it right on the spot. And uh, being a, a stubborn New Yorker, I said, hell no, I'm going to court. I'm going to go to court. I'm going to fight this and I'm not going to pay this fine. So long story short, everyone told me that, you know, you can't fight the police. You know, you're just going to end up paying a bigger fine. And uh, and and so I, I just kept thinking to myself, no, this was wrong. I'm going to fight him. I ended up spending weeks after working with my girlfriend, who's German, and talking to her, even though she thought it, you know, it was stupid that I would even fight it. I wrote 
a very nice letter to explain my side of the story that I would take to court with me because, you know, my German wasn't that good. I wanted the judge to understand my point of view. And I also took pictures of the scene of the area where the, the blockage of the traffic was. You know, I really put a lot of effort into this. I even had to take a half day off to go to court. And all that time, everybody thought I was crazy to, to think that I would be able to win at a court against the German police. I agreed with everyone, but I said, no, I'm doing this out of principle. I know I was right, you know, and, and, and it, it really ruined a couple of weeks of my life, you know, and I, I was really upset for, for a while until finally the, the day came, I went to court and I expected to see the officers there. And you know what, you know, at the city hall, it was just me. Uh, and, and this was like afternoon after lunch. And then it was just me and the, a judge who basically was just going through all of these minor cases. And then I just gave my side of the story and I gave her the, the letter with the pictures and I explained it her to, to her what happened. And then in the end, since there was nobody to fight against me, uh, the judge was like, well, to be honest, yeah, I don't know why they thought that they could give you a ticket for this. And I got off. So long story short, I would always recommend that you fight for your rights, even if you think, you know, everybody else is thinking that you won't be able to be successful. When I first arrived in Munich, the very first day after my arrival, a buddy took me to the MVV office in Marienplatz in the city center to get myself a monthly public transportation subscription. I went with him. Uh, but since I am quite used to, you know, handling things on my own, I started talking with the clerk at the office there and I told her, hi, I am here for a year. I would like to get a subscription for, you know, zones one to four for a whole month starting today, please. And she said something. I did not understand anything. I figured, of course, it was in German. I asked him what did what she said. He said like, no, 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 it's okay. I'll tell you later. And uh, he took it from there. My friend managed to get me the public transportation for the month. And when we got out, I asked him again, again, what did she say? Because it didn't sound nice. Because I also saw at the same time when she said it, a colleague next to her looked a little bit frightened at her and then at me and did not know how to react. My friend told me that what she said was the following, which I will never forget. We are here in Germany. We speak in German. And at that point, uh, you can understand, I felt like my blood was boiling. Not because I was told that, because I did not know that she said that. And nobody stood up for me, not even my buddy or her, the lady's colleague. And I did not have much of a chance to stand up for myself. So in that moment, I realized that there's not much or anybody standing up for me. So I need to take care of things and take them into my own hands. So I started learning German. I took German classes within one year. I learned up to B2 level. Good enough to speak, stand up for myself, have communication, express my personality, you know, the usual. But at the same time, that firsthand experience taught me that this would not be an isolated incident. And it did spark an interest and motivation in me to be support for other expats coming to Germany because I was not the very first or the only person that has had this kind of interactions. So I made it in a way my mission also with my business, with my activity to provide services for incoming expats to Germany or in Munich to support them integrate fast, to get to the accustomed to the culture and also to take everything with a grain of salt.
I am where I am today. I'm happily self-employed. I have a lot of happy expats, clients, and I am really happy and free with what I do today. Now, when I was initially sourcing these stories, I heard from a lot of people saying, yes, this happens to me hundreds of times. Yes, I've moved to different cities throughout Germany, and this still happens to me no matter where I go. But one thing actually really surprised me, which is I specifically asked a couple people who I knew lived in smaller towns, and I was surprised to hear them say that they actually couldn't think of any stories to share. This surprised me because you think common sense, right? If you're in a bigger city, there's more international people then the process of processing international paperwork and dealing with international folks is more common. And the people on the other end of that are going to be more prepared and more practiced in these topics and in these areas. Whereas in a smaller city where there's not as many foreigners, this might be the first time that this person's actually had to do this process. So they're not as prepared and it goes poorly. Again, this is what my common sense was telling me going into this, but I was wrong. So I was surprised to hear so many people in small towns tell me they couldn't think of a single story, though several of them brought up a point which I think makes a lot of sense. And actually, we referenced this back in the episode with Martina. You know, this is the expat cast, right? I'm, I'm centering the stories of foreigners, so we can only make guesses at what it's like to be on the other side of things. But something Martina brought up is these people, these people of authority, they have super serious jobs. People come to them every day with things that are crucial to their lives. And especially after the refugee crisis, when there's a sharp raise in the number of foreigners coming into not just the foreigner's office, but also other departments and other offices, this increased the workload. Add on to that COVID. As was mentioned earlier, several government offices were also shut down and they're behind because of having to learn to work from home, etc. So these big challenges that happen in society have a direct impact on these people and they're experiencing a lot of stress and an increased workload. Again, that's going to be true in more populated areas, whereas in smaller towns and villages, that might not be the case. So this next story comes from one of these people who live in a smaller town that I asked directly if they could contribute to the episode. This was the only person who could think of any story to share and this was the worst story he could think of. When I did my Anmeldung when I moved to Germany. I spoke zero German. Also, the person who was uh, helping me out, she also didn't speak much of English. Uh, and apparently, I needed to book an appointment online. And basically, the website of the city also did, did not have like any like English translation. So I used Google Translate, of course, my best friend, based on the information the lady had given me. And also, uh, where you do the Anmeldung and also the information I got from the website. I go to a, a smaller kind of city, like outside the, the main, like, inner stadt. So I, I had to, like, take the bus and all, and just to, to go there and realize that actually my requirements were not correct. So what the lady had told me or what I showed her wasn't, like, the correct requirement. So I had to go back again and then book another appointment and do everything again. And it was just, like, a lot of traveling and just, you know, getting into the bus was already... Uh, a big issue for me because I couldn't really explain where I need to get off. You know, I had Google Maps. Fortunately, buying a ticket was such a hassle. So all of this combined was a bit of a frustrating experience. But in general, like people were willing to help me. It was really about the language barrier, I think. And maybe the fact that they're not really prepared for, for foreigners who don't speak German at all. 
So uh, you might notice that story is not quite as long and traumatic as some of the other ones were. Sounds like he had to go back and forth a lot of times. Again, he also had stress because of the transit and the overall culture shock, language shock, everything coming all at once. But at the end of the day, he said actually the people were very helpful. It was more of a process problem. So I think that's interesting to note because I wanted to highlight in this episode problems that weren't necessarily the process itself, but the way people were being handled. And again, my small town folk, they didn't really have many stories of being handled in such a negative way. And actually, I can, I can second that. I lived briefly in a town just outside of Freiburg. And when I had to do all my registration and all my paperwork there, I didn't really have any issues. Yes, it was harder because they weren't as familiar with the processes. For instance, they'd never seen an Aufenthaltstitel, which is a foreigner's card. The lady I was working with said this is the first time she actually worked with one, but she was very engaged and excited to figure out how to do it. It was really just a lack of practice, but the treatment was super positive. So yeah, maybe there's something there. I'm not sure. We have one last story actually from another person who lives in a smaller town. And I know we've had a lot of stories that are a little heavier, a little bit more negative. This one's got a happy ending. I've always been fairly fortunate with Beamten in Germany. There have been one or two smaller frustrations along the way, but generally things have always been pretty smooth going for me, and I'm, I'm very fortunate. But when we wanted to become German citizens, my wife and I, we jumped through all the hoops, we did all the tests, we did all the, the, the integration course and the language tests and so on, and then it came to applying, and we were in the office with the Beamter, and he basically said that we could not get German citizenship, because as it turned out, we were getting money from a specific law or a specific Gesetzbuch or paragraph from some book where we were getting social money from Germany because of my son with special needs. And he was just saying, there's no way you can become German citizens. And he was really kind of unemotional about it. He wasn't very sorry. My wife and I, if there's one thing that we've always wanted, is to become German citizens. From the moment we got to Germany and we realized how much we loved it here, that was our dream. In that moment, we just couldn't believe it. And he was very unapologetic about it. He, yeah. And then at the end of it, he said, I will speak to my manager and see what we can do. But it, it really was like a throwaway comment. And I thought, you know, that's just something he's saying. And I walked out there and I won't lie, I shed a tear because my dream was completely gone. I was heartbroken. As it turns out, a week later, he phoned us back and said he had gotten permission to circumvent the law that prevented us becoming German citizens. And I, I mean, we just got that call out of the blue. We had no idea. And I nearly cried again, but this time with joy, because it was unbelievable to me. And um, yeah, he'd circumvented the rules. But of course, he got a 100 Genehmigungs to do that, because you don't just break the rules or skip, you know, go around the rules here. But he did it. And it turned out, uh, you know, that it, for us it was positive. So I had a, a negative cry and a positive cry, you could say. See that, folks? It all works out in the end. Somehow, some way. Even if the person on the other side doesn't seem particularly bothered by your disappointment or doesn't seem friendly, doesn't seem sympathetic, it might just be some kind of front. And maybe they are actually being helpful in the background and you just got to give it time. So the American in me needed to give you guys a story with a happy ending, but the German part of me wants to end this on something practical. So in preparing for this episode, some of you sent tips and ideas to me over Instagram that I now want to share. Well, one listener wrote in and said, I just try to avoid them entirely. 
Honestly, me too. There are certain things I just haven't done or really put off doing for a long time because of these nerves, these sort of PTSD adjacent, the anxiety that you get after having a bad experience. That's led me to put off a lot of things that I honestly shouldn't have. So, okay, avoiding the situation, it's a short-term coping mechanism. It kind of gets you through the moment, but some stuff you really end up having to deal with. So what then? It's always good to stay polite. And at the same time, it's also always good to push to get what you need. Especially in Germany, the cultural belief is that people self-advocate and it's accepted that you say what you need. And if you're not getting that, it's okay to push back. Again, you can do that in a polite manner. But to me, as a person from a maybe a softer culture in those ways, it feels really intense and it feels honestly shameless the way that you have to be so penetrant, but often it works. Another listener wrote in to say they always try to get the communication in email or some kind of written format so that it's in black and white. Whereas with a telephone call or an in-person meeting, it's harder to document who said what. One commenter said, try not to take it personally. It often isn't personal, although it definitely feels that way in the moment. And try to laugh about it. Even if it's not actually funny, try to laugh because laughter is going to get you a lot farther and make it feel a lot more okay than the alternative. Those two tips came from the Instagram handle, S-U-X-A-N-E-S. I think Susanna is her name. And the next ones came from yet another Steph. This is the season of Stephs on the expat cast. Um, so this username is Steph Chanel. She brought some Brene Brown into the conversation, which I am super here for. If you're, if you're not familiar with Brene Brown, she is a researcher based out of Texas. She also has written some books. She hosts a couple great podcasts, my favorite of which is called Unlocking Us. In some of Brene Brown's books, she has suggested certain mottos and mantras that you can repeat to yourself when you're in these moments. And Steph said she uses one that goes, don't shrink, don't puff up, stand your sacred ground. Plus, she said if she makes a language or a cultural mistake, she says to herself, this is another Brene Brown mantra, I made a mistake, but I am not a mistake. I am blank. I am brave. I am smart. I am whatever you need to hear in that moment. Tell yourself that repeatedly. Once you're out of the situation, go ahead and, and cry or vent to someone who you know that you can trust to empathize with you. And finally, Steph pointed out that it's important to determine if the feelings have transcended from embarrassment to shame because the brain stores shame memories as trauma memories and then they need to be handled more gently. I thought those were super tips. So thank you to Steph and to all the other people who wrote in on Instagram, on email. And guys, we made it to the end. This is the compilation of your horror stories. I would really love it if this episode kicks off a larger conversation about these moments. With that said, we'll round the corner and head to home. There's no sex, sex, sex this week. Instead, I'm going to dive right into the thank yous. I've got a lot of people to thank. First and foremost, I want to thank everyone who sent in their stories for this episode. Not everyone was comfortable sharing their names, but I do want to give a shout out to a couple people who have some great projects going on that you can check out. That includes Madalena, who has a great relocation service in Munich called Relosophy. Patrick, who runs an online language school called Learn Easy, Glauen from the podcast Pop Your Cultural Cherry, Andrea from Andrea Hunt Coaching, Sean from the podcast The Germany Experience, and finally Claudio, who just launched a very cool project, which you can check out on Instagram at Zero Waste Stories Official. 
as it is the end of the season, I want to thank every person who has come on the season as a guest. I want to thank every single listener, especially those of you who have taken the time to reach out via writing a review, leaving me a rating, shooting me an email, reaching out on Instagram or on Twitter. The contact that I have with listeners is truly the most fulfilling aspect of this entire gig that is podcasting. And without you guys, it would be just shouting into the void. So thank you to everyone who's been tuning in this week and every week. You can find me online at theexpatcast.com and on Twitter and on Instagram at theexpatcast. I'll be taking the next couple weeks off for a well-earned podcasting break. I'm going to be off enjoying the summer, but don't worry, I'm also going to be scheming for season six. Feel free to reach out if you're interested in coming onto the show. I'm terrible at email, so no promises when I'll get back to you, but at some point I will respond. I'm really looking forward to doing another season of the Expat Cast. Till then, I'll post sporadically on social media. And I'll be back in your feeds in the fall. Until then, have a wonderful summer. Stay healthy and stay safe. Bits done. Tschüss.